Blog Talk Radio. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Movie Attic Headquarters with your host, Betty Jo Tucker, author of Confessions of a Movie Attic, right here at www.blogtalkradio.com. Hi, all you movie fans out there. This is Betty Jo Tucker thanking you for tuning in to Movie Attic Headquarters. You don't have to be a movie addict to visit here, but if you are one, it's definitely the place for you. And we have a great show for you today, folks, because one of our favorite guests, Stephen Shohat, is here again, this time to share some revealing stories about Alfred Hitchcock, the master of suspense. You know, Hitchcock directed more than 50 feature films during a career that lasted six decades, and he's been called the most influential filmmaker of all time, and uh, certain critics think that he did more than any other director to shape modern cinema. Personally, because Hitch's movies uh, always have those uh, twist endings plus thrilling plots filled with violence, murder, and crime. I, I'm just captivated while watching them. And then when you add the suspenseful psychological and visual elements, as well as stylistic presentation, mistaken identity, characters wrongfully accused, the wow factor definitely kicks in whenever I'm viewing a Hitchcock film. And so we're very glad to have Stephen with us because he is going to be talking with us before the opening of the new film Hitchcock, starring Anthony Hopkins as Alfred Hitchcock, later this month. And Stephen has been a big hit on our show several times before. He's the author of Hollywood Stories, Short, Entertaining Anecdotes About the Stars and Legends of Hollywood. And listeners... If you're making out your holiday gift list and you have some movie addicts on your list, I highly recommend Stephen's book as a gift. You'll make them very, very happy. As a Hollywood tour guide, he began doing research years ago in order to tell colorful tales about Tinseltown to his customers. And most of these tales are included in his fun book. He also hosts a syndicated one-minute radio feature called Hollywood Stories. Welcome back to Movie Attic Headquarters, Stephen. Uh, thank you for the nice introduction, Betty Jo. Well, it's well-deserved. You know I'm a big fan, and I just take that book of yours, and I can just flip to any page in it and find something that is just uh, so amazing and uh, fascinating and it's always so good to have you here because you're willing to share some of some of this uh, wonderful information with us. But before we get into our main topic, I wanted all of our listeners to know that the chat room is open, and uh, Nikki Starr, our producer extraordinaire, is in the chat room. So any of you who uh, want to participate in the chat, we really appreciate it if you if you sign uh, sign up. We also appreciate all our other listeners. Of course. 
Okay, now let's find out more about Alfred Hitchcock, who happens to be mm, my favorite filmmaker. Stephen, I should mention that we've given Hitch a great deal of attention here on Movie Attic Headquarters. As Nikki knows, we did a special tribute show on him when we inducted him into our Hall of Fame, as well as a special episode celebrating the birds being brought back to the big screen for one day by Turner Classic Movies. Plus, we did an interview with the great Tippi Hedren in which she discussed her work with Hitchcock, and if we have time today, we'll listen to a short clip from that interview. But you know, Stephen, movie addicts like me never get enough information about the master of suspense, and that's why I'm so happy you've agreed to share your Hitchcock stories with us today. So let's start out with this question. What did Hitchcock consider the difference between horror and suspense? Well, he always said horror is like when something just jumps out at you unexpectedly, um, whereas, uh, uh, and, and, you know, you have a temporary uh, temporary little thrill and then it's gone and, and, uh, uh, you know, it just jumps out at you. Suspense is when the audience knows something that the characters don't know. And uh, he always used the example of a bomb being under the table and the People sitting at the table don't know the bomb is there, and they're having drinks or playing cards or something like that. And the audience is like, why don't they look under the table? And you just grind <laughs> it out, grind it out, grind it out. And yet, you know, I think the movie that Hitchcock was most successful with, you'd probably consider to be a horror movie, although although after the horrible horror of Psycho happens, and once once Vera Miles gets into the house, the Psycho house, and then you're wondering how long will it be before Anthony Perkins finds out and comes up to the house, and that really gets into the suspense category. Too, but I, but I think it was the audience knowledge, and a, a big example of that was the movie Vertigo. I think where where the, something was revealed to the audience that isn't revealed to James Stewart, and and it goes from there. Oh, that's a that's a good uh, explanation, and I'm I'm so glad that you mentioned both of those films. Vertigo is my favorite Hitchcock movie. In fact. It's always up there in my top five. No matter when people ask me, well, what are your top five films, it's it's up there. I mean, it, it could be number five or it could be number four, three, two, or one. But I, I watch it every time it comes on television. And the good thing about it is I never can remember the ending, no matter how many times. So I enjoy it just as much, you know, the the hundredth time that I've watched it. So I'm glad you mentioned uh, Vertigo. There's a lot of suspense in that. And Psycho, because I understand that this new film, uh, Hitchcock, is uh, based on a book called Alfred Hitchcock and the Making of Psycho. Yeah, so, Stephen so the Lobello. film, yeah, so the film is all about um, the relationship, I think, between Hitchcock and his wife Alma, played by the great Helen Mirren. I just, I just cannot wait to see those two together. And after looking at the uh, previews, by the way, I did post a link to the preview on YouTube on my Facebook page and. So, listeners, um, please check out that trailer so you can get a good look at uh, some of the interaction between between uh, Hitchcock and and his wife and the way and the way Anthony Hopkins and Helen Mirren 
banter back and back and forth. It's I think it's just it's just going to be a, a great movie. Are you looking forward to that to that particular movie, Stephen? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And it's kind of a neat story because Anthony Hopkins didn't want to do it. Um, he thought really? at first was cheesy and then it was rewritten and rewritten and it got better but what sold him on it was um, he had a meeting with Sasha Gervais uh, the the director of the movie who doesn't really have that much directing experience at the grill restaurant in Beverly Hills and it was Sasha Gervais's passion that that uh, got Hitchcock to agree, I mean, got Hopkins to agree to, to uh, be part of the movie. And one of the things that happened was is that Sasha, Sasha asked everybody to leave except for Hopkins. Uh, you hmm. know, all the, all the other people at the lunch and said, "I got to tell you something." I, you know, he, he was a drummer in the band Bush. Um, uh, Gervais was, and, and he had alcohol and drug problems, and he was at a meeting at, of Alcoholics Anonymous in London. Um, this you know this little remote place in London, and all of a sudden hmm. he came in to speak to the group was Anthony Hopkins, and, oh. and he said he, that that inspired him and changed his life around. That you know a man like Anthony Hopkins would come in for this way out of the way place to be concerned with other people who had alcohol problems, and that's when the two really bonded and connected. And hopefully uh, the movie will be as. Uh, you know, you know, really good for audiences because I, I think it was great for them to end up working together after after uh, Gervais had that experience. Well, I'm glad he per, uh, he persuaded uh, Anthony Hopkins to Gervais. Excuse me, Gervais. If uh, uh, is, is his name not Gervais? I'm sorry. Yes, I, I'm I'm not familiar with that director. Although I did yeah, see yeah. Anvil. I did see Anvil. The the story of of Anvil that he directed. I guess this is his first time doing a fiction, doing a, doing you know just a main mainstream um, movie. Right. And yeah, was I, I was pretty impressed with Anvil, so I hope he'll he'll do um, he'll do a good job of of the film. It does have a great cast. Uh, not just Anthony Hopkins, but and Helen Mirren, but Scarlett Johansson plays uh, Janet Lee. And right. Jeff- and it's- yeah. Go ahead. I was going to say, you know, obviously it's a fascinating story with Psycho. Can, can I just tell the story really quick? You know, my book, Hollywood Stories, um, the very first story in the book is a story a man told me on the tour that he had taken his family up to see uh, uh, Universal Studios. And they were going on the tour, and they were going by where Hitchcock made the movie Psycho. And the tour guide was talking about the movie and how it was shot. And all of a sudden, a man emerged from behind the Bates Motel with a wig and a dress and a knife. And everybody was laughing, oh, Norman Bates and drag. And and the tour guide said, ladies and gentlemen, I don't know who this man is, and and, and he's not part of the tour. So now everybody was a little bit nervous. The man came running toward the tram, yelling and screaming, raised the knife, (laughs) <laughs> and people started screaming, and he took off the wig, and it was Jim Carrey. Oh no! Yeah, that yeah, sounds he was making, like Jim Carrey. Right, he was making the movie The Man on the Moon, and he decided to scare everybody, uh, you know, half to death. And and I uh, wish I'd took, been there. I would have loved to see that. <laughs> yeah, and then he took pictures and signed autographs, and and after that, um, uh, a Norman Bates lookalike became a staple. I, I don't think I don't know if they do it on every tour, but they do it on many many of the tours. So it shows what a, an iconic. Um, 
figure that Norman Bates became after that movie. Um, and and uh, even though Hitchcock made 53 movies, and, and probably Psycho in, in a lot of ways was easier to make than, than a bunch of them, which were much, many more problems, um, you know, it, it's it's definitely always going to be the movie probably that, that's the most associated with him. I think you're right about that. And um, you were talking about the difference be- between horror and suspense, and uh, you said that there was probably a mix of both in uh, in Psycho, which was kind of a a step, um, a different a different type of approach that that he made. Well, he had to spend Alfred Hitchcock, I think, had to spend a lot of his own money to yeah. make Psycho. Did you hear about that? Is is that correct? Yeah. That's right, because Paramount Studios, his normal studio at the time, didn't want to do it. Um, and there were a lot of things that motivated him at the time. First of all, you know, he, he was always aware of the business, and he saw that people like William Castle were making money off of low-budget horror movies. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you know things like the House on Haunted Hill or the Tingler, things like that. And, and, yeah, I remember and he, those. <laughs> yeah, and he was wondering, well, what if somebody with you know, and it sounds like a put down to the other people uh, with real talent was interested in making one of those movies. What would happen then? And and, and second of all, you, you know, Hitchcock always went back and forth on the movie stars, and, and he always said his favorite movie star was Cary Grant. He was the, the, you know, he said he's the one actor that I really loved. He went to baseball games with Cary Grant, but 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 Cary Grant you know, was fussy and, and demanded a lot of money. I mean, you, you know, you had to basically pull Cary Grant out of retirement uh, oh. um, to get him to do a movie. And, and if I could just tell a quick story, you know, it, it might it might be apocryphal, uh, but, but Cary Grant was legendarily frugal. And uh, so <laughs> another actor who was legendary frugal was uh, Fred McMurray, who Hitchcock never worked with. But they, uh, you, you know, they had lots of co- in common. They both made millions of dollars. They both gave a lot of money to charity. But but um, they hated both of them. It was a legendary thing that they hated picking up a tab. So they used to see each other around Paramount Studios, and they said, why don't we go to dinner sometime? Oh, that'd be great. So one night they they meet at this Beverly Hills restaurant, and they shake hands, and they sit down. They have a three-course meal, and they have a wonderful time. And they're talking about the directors and the leading ladies. They have so much in common. So at the end of the meal, the waiter comes, and he doesn't know what to do. So he drops the check in the middle of the, of the table, and neither one picks it up. <laughs> shall, shall we... Shall we have dessert? Oh, yeah, coffee. You know, there's this awkward silence that they suggest that. So they keep going and going. And meanwhile, you know, the restaurant started to clear out, and the chairs are going on the table, and the lights are dimming, and these guys don't get the hint, and they keep going and going. And finally, there's only three people left in the front of the restaurant, the waiter and the two movie stars. And the waiter waits, and he's very patient, and he comes over, and he says, "Uh, Gentlemen, could I interest you in the breakfast menu? (laughs) Uh, and uh, I got to be honest, I don't know who paid, and I don't even know if that story's true. But, but you know, both of those guys were just legendary for for having to go to the bathroom or something like that at the moment when the check would come. Well, I hope it wasn't Cary Grant. <laughs> I, wouldn't, I wouldn't like to see him doing that. Well, now, Cary Grant, I think um, that you mentioned in your book, did have something to do with helping uh, Hitchcock 
get other actors to work with him. Why why did Hitchcock find it so difficult when he because, came over from from um England? After he'd made some films there, I know some of them were not all that great. He he, he didn't have, you know, the tip-top uh, reputation that he had once he once he came over to Hollywood, but well well yeah, that's partly it. And uh you know the type of movie that he made was considered to be the thriller, a B movie, B movie type of thing. So you know, like he offered foreign correspondent to Gary to Gary Cooper, and he, and you know for whatever reason he just refused to do it. And so he, uh, you know, he finally. I, I mean, you know, nothing against people like Joe McRae, but but he, he finally went when when he got Cary Grant, who was a much bigger star than he had worked with before for the movie Suspicion, then uh, the, then all of a sudden it gave Hitchcock legitimacy, and it, and it really helped pave his way as a major director in America in 1941, and I think that was. That was part of the reason why why uh, you know Hitchcock was so grateful to him, even though you know it was a maddening relationship at, at times. And, and the the other thing that was interesting about that was is that Hitchcock always wanted a, a bigger budget, you know, when he came from England to America, because uh, you know obviously in America the film industry was generally more successful and got wider worldwide distribution. And so you get the bigger budget when you have somebody like Cary Grant working. But on the other hand. Uh, in the movie Suspicion, um, the plot was going to be that Cary Grant actually killed Joan Fontaine, oh. and he would be revealed at the end. And then, you know, testing, marketing, they couldn't do it. They, it would upset the audience too much. So Hitchcock's idea that villains and killers should look like charming, nice men um in a way having the 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 uh you know this ultimately charming actor who Hitchcock was dying to show the audience his dark side a little bit um that went by the wayside and 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 then you entered the field of compromise so so that i think that led to the whole thing with Hitchcock where where you know he really enjoyed the process of getting together with the writer and he- fleshing out the story much more than he enjoyed the actual filming and working with the actors who all had their own ideas that didn't always match his now in that particular case Cary Grant would have probably gone along with being a killer um even though he was you know well known to fuss and complain about a lot of things but but uh uh in that in that particular case it was the public expectations of a movie star that derailed Hitchcock's plans well you said that um he he really didn't like uh working with with actors as much as the the other parts to making movies is that where the rumor got started that Hitchcock said uh, actors are like cattle or did he say that, or what did what did he really think about actors? Well, he always said that that he didn't say actors are like cattle. He said actors are treated should be treated like cattle. Oh no, that he was this is bad. <laughs> but but you know there was a lot of fun with it. Like like he, you know there were certain actors he loved, like Carol Lombard. I mean he he directed the the movie Mr. and Mrs. Smith, and right. she had a she had a bunch of uh, uh, cattle bought onto the set. You know, with, with name tags on them, just as a joke, and then, and then, and then, you know, when Hitchcock made his cameo appearance, she insisted on directing that scene and made him do retake after retake after retake after retake just to punish him. So, and, and, and he was oh. delighted by her. And I, actually, when Hitchcock first came to America, he re, he 
was actually renting her house in Bel Air. So uh, uh, they, you know, they got, he got along great with her. I mean, I mean, I, I, I mean, but but he made the point to uh, Jimmy Stewart in, when they were making Rear Window together. Jimmy Stewart was a little bit miffed by the actors are should be treated like cattle. Uh, remark. He, he he wanted to prove that the the cinema was the director's medium, um, but, and he showed Jimmy Stewart a picture of himself looking out the window and, and uh, looking at uh, the little dog in the movie and what a tender expression he has. And then he shows another picture of him looking out the window at, at a character named Miss Torso. You know this buxom blonde dancing character in the movie, and he's got sort of a leering expression, but but. Uh, Hitchcock showed Stewart through editing how it was manipulative. He actually used the same expression in both reaction shots. So, so oh. Hitchcock was, was trying to say that that's you know what the cinema, the ultimate power lies in the director's hands. Of course, that wasn't always literally true either, because if you had a producer like like uh, uh, David O. Selznick, for example, he he could he could take over the cutting and the editing away from Hitchcock. Uh, or away from any director, and but although Hitchcock was, you know, really sly and and would edit the movies in, or, or film the movies in such an economical way that that not much work was left to do in the editing room. So, so I, I, I mean, he was definitely, uh, you, you know, sly and devious, not in an evil Machiavellian way, but in a way to get the best performance out of somebody. It, it's it's like uh, when he made Vertigo. Uh, Vera Miles was his original choice to play Madeline in Vertigo, Vertigo, who ends up with a dual identity. I mean, Vera Miles was just uh, still alive. She's just a great actress. And 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 then she got pregnant, and and Hitchcock was uh, you know a bit upset about about it at the time. He even said, "Why do you need three meeting children?" And and was you know not happy that she was unable to do the movie, willing to wait for her, but the student was unwilling so he ended up going with uh, Kim Novak instead and and he was kind of unhappy with Kim Novak and she came in with a lot of ideas and he invited over her over to dinner and he did started to discuss art and wine and things like that and, and and she really wasn't up to speed on the things he was talking about and she was kind of intimidated and and lost her confidence a little bit and that's kind of exactly what he wanted so he could mold her into the performance that that you know he wanted to get from her which which he ultimately did but but they never worked together again that's right i i hadn't thought about that and um uh, those are the kinds of things that i uh that movie fans will learn <laughs> when they read your your wonderful book uh hollywood stories and again i do urge uh listeners to uh to check to check out your book well it, do you think well let me let me um preface this by saying that I was quite disturbed uh, by the movie The Girl that was released on um, television last month, which uh, was a depiction of uh, Hitchcock's relationship with Tippi Hedren and how obsessed he became with her. And uh, it was definitely not a pretty sight. And I'm wondering if you had a chance to see that particular uh television film and um uh, if so what uh, yeah. what you thought about that 
Not yet. I dropped. I, I got to confess, I dropped HBO after Entourage went off. So. Oh, no. <laughs> well, yeah. you, didn't wanna, so, you didn't want to say. Well, if yeah. you get a chance to say, well, I'm not recommending The Girl, yeah. uh, no, but, sure. but it just, uh, after I saw that, I, I had to say that Hitchcock's my favorite filmmaker, but not my favorite person because he certainly didn't, didn't uh, Toby Jones played him and it um it was a pretty he was pretty much obnoxious and um we did have a uh, a little bit of a, a touch of uh kind of the real thing when uh, when we had Tippy Hedren on our show and she uh, talked about working with uh, with Alfred Hitchcock in the birds and I think this might be a good place to play uh, some of would you like to hear that? Uh, sure. Did you get okay? I don't think you got to hear that show. So let's just play about five minutes of that interview and then uh, get get your reaction uh, to that particular uh, movie and to Tippy's performance. Uh, turning to the birds, though, what was it like working with Alfred Hitchcock? Well, he w- he was amazing. He was not only my my uh, director; he was my drama coach. Really? So, yes, and The Birds was my first film. Holy so, cow! So I was I was really fortunate, in uh, on so many levels that that um, to to have him as a director, and um, uh, and and my acting coach. I mean that was just phenomenal, and and he often said that he was he was thrilled that this was my first movie because I had nothing to unlearn. <laughs> So I just tried to be putty in his hands, you know, and and uh, uh, I used the techniques that he he taught me uh, all the time, all the time. Well, how did you happen to get that role, Tippy? Uh, I had done. I was uh, uh, I was working in New York as a fashion model uh, with Eileen Ford, and um, you know, it, uh, in the fifties, the commercials became very very important, and. Um, so I was doing a lot of them, and uh, uh, Mr. and Mrs. Hitchcock were watching the Today Show, and th- they saw this commercial that I had done, and it was a story type of thing. It was for a, 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 a pet milk product called Seago. It was a diet drink. Right. And I think I, I weighed that. all. I think I weighed all of a hundred pounds when I did the <laughs> commercial. <laughs> uh, but anyway, he saw it and decided to find out who the girl was, where she was, and. Um, so um, I just received a surprise phone call one day, asking me to come over to meet with a with a um, uh, an executive at Universal Studios. I had by then moved out to California so that Melanie could oh could have a little bit of independence of just saying I'm going out to play, mommy, you know. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, Tippy, you got to work with Alfred Hitchcock a couple of times. Uh, what was your favorite project uh, with him? And and oh, I like I like Marnie. I, I like ah. the best. Really? Yes. Why was that? Was a, well, the, you know, The Birds is sort of a chase-type film. And uh, the, the uh, Marnie was such a deep character. My God, she Yes, was absolutely. And that was that was the, the interest for me. In well, that. working with Sean Connery had to have something to do with that, Tippy. Not all bad. <laughs> no, he was and he was just wonderful. We see each other every now and then, um, uh, not often, because he, um, you know, lives. Um, he doesn't live in the United States. Uh, but um, he was really, he was really terrific, 
And Rod Taylor was terrific. And, of course, working with Jessica Tandy was just marvelous. And, and Jessica was Tandy so was was in in the birds? Yes. Well, did you ever get hurt or oh, have yeah. any problems with the, with the real birds in, oh, yes. in the birds? Yes, I did. Oh no! But, you know, you know, off and on during the during the shooting, we would we were hurt, you know, scratched or whatever. But uh, you know, the scene where at the end of the movie where I go up the stairs yeah. and into the into the bedroom upstairs, and all of the birds attack me. Yeah. Well, they told me that I, they were going to because uh, you know, when I read the script, I said, "And Mr. Hitchcock, how would we be doing that scene?" And he said, "Oh, well, we'll use the mechanical birds like we did with the children." And um, so I was perfectly comfortable all about the whole thing, and it was one of the last scenes we did during the shoot. And um, uh, at the at the first day, it was a Monday. I was in my dressing room on the set, and uh, the assistant director Jim Brown came in, and he said he couldn't look at me. He looked at the floor and the walls and the ceiling. That <laughs> was you, Jim. And he said. Uh, the mechanical birds don't work. We have to use real ones. And out the door he went. Well, oh, I just, I just was stunned. I went out to the set, and you know, this isn't anything they had just planned on. There was a whole cage built around the door that I come in, and there were five boxes, cartons, of raven and seagulls and a few pigeons thrown in. Uh, prop men with gauntlets up to their shoulders. And which they threw at me for five days. What I don't blame you in any way whatsoever, but I but I do have to say I still have nightmares about that because I was a fairly young child when that movie came out, and uh-huh. oh my god, that was frightening. It was frightening. It it was supposed to be. We worked hard to make it that way. Well, you were successful, and do you know what? It was not just frightening. While the movie was on, I mean, it, because it sort of uh, led to a kind of unending terror with people. My son, who is now grown and has grown children of his own, is still frightened to death of birds. <laughs> Excuse me for laughing, but, you know, <laughs> isn't that great? It is great. I, I hope he gets over it pretty soon. <laughs> I really love that interview with Tippy Stephen, and and you can hear it uh, in its yeah. entirety on the archived uh, segment called Tippy Hedron Speaks Out. But Tippy spoke very um, positively about uh, her work with uh, with Anthony Hopkins. But in the girl, I mean, it's an entirely different uh, situation. Which uh, I mean, it's, it's scarier than the than the the movie itself. But do you have any? Anything to add about the birds and uh, Alfred Hitchcock's relationship with Tippy? Well, obviously she knew him better than I did, um, but you know it's 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 tough when somebody's not around to defend themselves. I mean, acting in some ways has gotten easier than it used to be. I mean, you look at Ernest Borgnine, for example, when he was in the movie uh, Willard, he had to be covered with rats, and one of right. them did, and he had a tetanus shot. And he had nightmares for weeks. He woke up screaming. Um, but but you know he but he he when he was in the Poseidon Adventure, uh, um, you, you know the director Ronald Neem did a did a, a you know I watched the audio commentary of that and he said you, you know it was so tough for the actors. They sprayed down with water, climbing up uh, uh, stairs, you, you, you know physically grueling. And each one of the actors complained every 
10 days. And, you know, that's not bad, but I get it every day. But the one guy who never complained, well, there were two. There was Eric Shea, the little boy, and Ernest Borgnine never complained. And Ernest Borgnine said, you know, they... I mean, you sign up for the job, and that's what you do. I, I, I mean, I mean, you know, it's it, it, it was very, very difficult. And, and you know, I, I mean, like like Peter O'Toole was talking about uh, um, that that he way preferred making movies indoors to Lawrence of Arabia riding on a. a, a, a camel getting a sore rump all the time and have to concentrate on acting too and what you know people thought that that he had this you know these wild expressions on his face he said well they were mostly caused by drinking a lot of alcohol with omar sharif before he had to do these grueling scenes um <laughs> you know and he, and he actually prefers computer generated things and 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 technology has made things like that that you know, made things like that easier. Now you do have guys like like Daniel Day Lewis, who who, you, uh, you know, really trained to, to box uh, before he was in the movie The Boxer. And, oh, and great broke, movie! Yeah, broke some ribs or, or or had to be carried to the set by complaining crew members in the movie in the movie um, um, My Left Foot. You know, because he was he was paralyzed like his character was, and and how can you doubt? Daniel Day Lewis, who just, by the way, we were talking off the air, is just superb as Lincoln. Um, you know, mm. would throw himself into the the method actors, and he'd probably say, "Yeah, bring on those real births, Peck me, Peck me, please." <laughs> you know, he had to do those scenes. So well, the, to, well yeah. the the thing that that confuses me is, you know, when when Tippi Hedren was talking about it, she did talk about uh, how you know five days of those real birds coming at her, <laughs> but. But uh, in the um, in the movie, the girl, it's uh, it's treated as if Hitchcock was uh, punishing her for rejecting his uh, sexual advances. So that's a whole different different interpretation on the right on on yeah. that. But maybe, but like you say, he's not here. He's yeah. not here to defend himself. And I wonder what he's going to have to defend himself <laughs> about I, or in this next movie. Uh, I, I could just uh, I could just tell you my first hand experience was meeting Janet Lee uh, and had a chance to talk with her um, ah. years ago and I had just read uh, Donald Spotto's book um, uh, The Dark Side of Genius which which I, I guess was the book he wrote before he, he wrote the the thing about um, the 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 I forget what it was called, but what led up to the to the making of the girl. I mean, I know Donald Spotta was involved with that, and 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 yeah. Janet Leigh told me Hitchcock was wonderful. I mean, she loved him, and if oh. you, if you look at Psycho, uh, um, you know, you, you probably get different answers from the different actors. I mean, Anthony Perkins loved Hitchcock. I, I mean, you, you know, Norman Bates in, in the in the book Psycho, uh, overweight and and. Uh, Probably more of a murder suspect that, than he was in the movie, and that's what Hitchcock's uh, decision was to make him look like not an innocent but a likable young guy. And, and, mm -hmm. and Anthony Perkins had all these ideas, and it totally went against his, his image at the time. He was playing against type, um, you know, what, what people knew him as, and, and you know, in a lot of ways, it was a career risk, uh, you know. That, and of course, he never. 
he never shook that role really. I mean, that was the role that most people will remember him as. Uh, but but he didn't seem to be that negative about it. it was obviously in sequels to it, um, and, and Hitchcock would listen to him on the set if he if he had dialogue suggestions or or or, or, or certain things that Norman Bates did, like eat candy. Uh, uh, you know, Hitchcock just let him go, and they got along great. Janet Lee and Hitchcock got along great. Now, Vera Miles and Hitchcock, they already had some tension going on mm-hmm. because of earlier things involved with Vertigo. And, and John Gavin, and, uh, Hitchcock thought nothing of him and put him down all the time. And John Gavin has refused. Even Stephen Rebello, the writer of The Making of Psycho, couldn't get John Gavin to talk about it. So, really? So yeah. So uh, I, I mean, I don't know if he's ashamed of being in that movie or what, but but you, you know, I, I I mean, Hitchcock always said that they were like stick figures, and that that's really not true because if if you watch that movie, I, I mean, if Vera Miles doesn't do a great job in that movie, it's not as good. I mean, I mean, she's determined to get to the bottom of what happened to uh, uh, her sister and what happened to Arbogast, and and she's just a great actress. Uh, so. You know, yeah, you could I... understand. Yeah, you could understand why, why, why uh, um, you know, Hitchcock uh, putting her down. Um, it, it doesn't seem that appropriate to me. But, but every actor and actress had a di- had a different thing with Hitchcock. And Hitchcock, you know, a lot of the actors he 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 worked with, uh, uh, like Claude Rains or John Williams. I, I I mean, he'd use them on the television show. There'd be work for them in that too. So, so you know, he had to get along with these people to to a to a certain extent. So, I, I mean, each one's going to give a different relationship. Uh, Barbara Harris and Bruce Stern, I mean, in Family Plot, they they got along great together. But I guess he had more problems with William Devane in Family Plot, his final movie. So, I, I mean, it goes you know it goes back and forth. I mean, uh, James Stewart and he worked together four times. They, you, you know, with uh, Grace Kelly. When they were making Dial M for Murder, Hitchcock, the one thing he always did was tell dirty jokes, and he would try and yes. shock people with ribald stories and things like that. And he said, are you shocked by what I'm saying to Mr. Milan, Miss Kelly? And she said, no, Mr. Hitchcock, I was in a girl's convent. I heard all that stuff by the time I was 14. <laughs> So, you know, Hitchcock loved that answer. So, so you know, it's a case-by-case basis with his relationship with actors, that's for sure. Well, that's a good, that's definitely a good uh, point. And um, you also also mentioned about uh, the cameos that uh, Hitchcock uh, had in, in most of his movies. How did, how did that get started? Well, it, it was uh, one of the early movies. Uh, I believe it was The Lodger and it, it, uh, in England, and he just had to fill in uh, uh, enough people just to, to, to you know, get get people uh, to just to fill out the scene. So he didn't have enough extras. So he just he just was in the scene. And then the lodger was a big hit, and he was aware that that uh, D. W. Griffith had had appeared in a lot of his movies with small parts. Oh, so I thought, didn't know. Yeah, so he so he thought, you know, I keep doing this for good luck, and and so it just became a tradition and good luck. And then uh, the one thing that he changed on is is like if you see a movie like The Lady Vanishes, for example, um, he's at the end of the movie, and he realized that after a while 
he better make his appearance early on, like like even Notorious in 1946. It was kind of late, his appearance, and and he realized that people are going to be looking for me. Um, so I better. Get I the, did. The I always looked for him. <laughs> right. So I better get the appearance done early. So so uh, like things like North by Northwest. It's it right after the opening credits where he's late for the bus. You know, get that comic bit out of the way early because otherwise it's going to knock the audience out of the story and the biggest challenge of all the movies that he did was Lifeboat and with Lifeboat you had the scene where where um, you got eight people on a lifeboat so what's he supposed to do uh, he had a magazine with a, um, uh, a before picture and after picture of him losing a lot of weight and this product called Reduso and he had it in the middle of the ocean, float by the lifeboat, and one of the characters picks it up and looks at it. And and Reduso was a fictional product. And afterwards, he got tons of letters asking where he people could buy Reduso. Uh, <laughs> you know, where, where it was really uh, you know a, a strict diet, eating one meal a day, uh, that it really helped him lose the weight more than uh, more than any product which didn't exist in the first place. Well, that was his probably his most clever. Cameo. I mean, that that really uh, he had to uh, reach to get that one in Lifeboat. Right. Wasn't it fun though? Always to to try to uh, try to pick him out in the film. I I used to love to do that. Yeah, yeah. It it, it, it is fun, and uh, you know, I mean, I had to, you know, I had to double check uh, Notorious a couple of times to 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 see where he was, and and uh, yeah, Notorious and the Lady Vanishes. I kind of missed it, you know, a little bit, but. But I, I think, like I said, he was concerned about that, so show up earlier and earlier. I think I, it was really fun uh, back in the 80s around here in L.A. When, when Hitchcock movies were shown on the big screen. And that's when I got to see many of them for the first time. Because, um, Me too. Yeah, uh, there were five of them. Of the, all four Jimmy Stewart's Rope, Vertigo, uh, um, the... Uh, the uh, uh, Rear Window. The Rear Window and The Man Who Knew Too Much and The Trouble with Harry uh, uh, were all locked up due to ownership disputes for many years and couldn't be shown on TV, and they were released in the movie theaters. And I'll tell you, every time Hitchcock appeared in one of those movies, the audience would just start cheering. I mean, it was just, you know, it's just it's just really fun, identifiable, uh, likable. I, I mean, and of course, you know, he changed things by going into television and, and getting into people's homes. And, and uh, uh, all those little bits on the television show were written for him. But, but uh, you, you know, his humor was basically the movie, uh, was shown in the movie uh, The Trouble with Harry, about a bunch of people who are trying to, to dispose of a corpse or hide a corpse and worried that they might be the one who actually killed the person in the movie and keep getting into these difficult situations. And that movie didn't do very well uh, when it came no. out. But but it, it, it was around the time that Hitchcock started the television show, and, and that's the type of character and humor that he wanted to display to audiences. And, and, and that television show was so mischievous in a way because when they would have the episodes – that the killers would often get away with it, and then you'd have to have Hitchcock come on at the end and say, unfortunately, you know, they, that person speeded in the 20-mile-per-hour zone, and the police picked him up, and now they're spending a hap- unhappy time in San Quentin or something like that. So, I so you know, that. the audience would kind of know 
that that the character got away with it, but but you know, due to propriety, Hitchcock had to come out there and say, "Oh no, they didn't really," you know, like that, and and and, and wrap it up in a way that was acceptable to censors and sponsors. But but uh, those you were know, great always... shows, great TV shows. I I used to yeah. love watching them. And but we were uh, talking quite a bit about uh, Hitchcock's relationship with uh, with the actors, and um, I was. I, I really liked what you said about uh, uh, Hitchcock and David O. Selznick in, in your book um, and the making of, of Rebecca. Uh, tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, well, uh, dur- during the making of Rebecca, uh, um, things like, like uh, uh, you know, a giant R to come out of the chimney and, 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 you know, or the smoke out of the chimney forming into a giant R and things like that, and, and he wanted to cut the movie more. And Hitchcock was making the movie so economically, um, you know, just filming what he needed to film. It just it just frustrated Selznick because it didn't give him any any room to cut anything. And 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 Selznick had had uh, was famous for sending oh Selznick I should say was famous for sending memos all over the place, and 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 Hitchcock. Is joke that one of the memos should be called the longest story ever told or something like <laughs> that, um, and, and they just went back and forth. And 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 you know it was a give and take relationship. It was a mutual respect relationship, but also the, there was frustration at being under contract. And and see that that's one of the things Tippi Hendren wanted out of her contract. You, you know, with Hitchcock, you make a contract, you fulfill it, and and he did. You know, fulfill his his contract with Selznick before he got out of it, and then when he made Rear Window, um, there was this intentional uh, 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 allegory going on where, where you got the 1954 after Hitchcock was out of the contract, where you got Jimmy Stewart. He's sort of like a director. He's in the chair. You know, mm-hmm. he's he's kind of like I, I mean, Hitch, you know, Hitchcock was was famous for appearing to fall asleep on the set. And then, and, and then the you know the the actors would think he slept through the scene, and they wake up and go, okay, do it again, but this time a little bit. And he, you know, somehow knew what was going on, despite the fact that he had fallen asleep. Uh, uh, you know, and 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 they always said, like people like Gregory Peck said, oh, he he can't get out of the chair. Well, there's an allegory there with the uh, voyeur uh, not being able to get out of the chair. Which is Jimmy Stewart in uh, in Rear Window, and and then Raymond Burr turns out to be the villain in Rear Window, yeah. was intentionally made up to look like David O. Selznick. Um, <laughs> yeah, with the glasses and everything like that. And of course, of course, you know, if you watch that movie and people have never seen it before with a big audience, the moment where Raymond Burr actually stares back at Jimmy Stewart it's like he's staring back at the audience and and people screamed uh you, you know when when they saw that and 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 so they you know there there was that little bit of revenge going on there although although David Oselsek was always a gentleman and uh sent Hitchcock a note congratulating him on what a wonderful movie Rear Window was so you know they might poke fun here and there. I mean, that, that's what Hitchcock would do. It's, it's like when Hitchcock uh, made the movie Juno and the Paycock, and he met the, mm-hmm. the, the, uh, 
this the the uh, stage play writer uh, Sean O'Casey, and he went over to Sean O'Casey's house, and they had dinner together. And Sean O'Casey was so negative about the movies and what a horrible medium it was, and and just was criticizing this and criticizing that. Well, uh, uh, over thirty years later, in the Birds, they have this guy at, in the diner, and he keeps saying it's the end of the world, it's the end of the world. And Hitchcock yeah. said, well, he was based on Sean O'Casey. So wow. uh, I, I mean, I mean, there's always going to be these little biographical things, not not only coming into Hitchcock's work, but but you know, in filmmakers' work in general, they they're just. I, I mean, that's one of the things that makes film such an interesting medium. Absolutely, and um, uh, I I want to be sure to to mention that uh, Nancy Lombardo from Comedy Concepts, which is a, another show on Blog Talk Radio. It's a great show, a lot of fun. And um, Nancy is in the chat room, and uh, I, I have to tell you that she does the greatest parody of Rebecca on her show, Comedy Concepts. And every once in a while, she will play that, and it is just hilarious. So, so hi, Nancy. Wanted to uh, to give you a plug for for uh, your show and for your parody of Rebecca, and also for your uh, CD, Color. Color Me uh, Crazy, which is also hilarious and definitely not uh, crazy. Uh, Stephen, we also have um, uh, quite a few guests that have that have come in and out. Um, they don't; uh, they're too shy to identify themselves, but they're there and listening. And I, I want to thank them. I thank everybody who has uh, signed up uh, for for the chat. But back to Hitchcock. Um, I'm wondering if you think um, Anthony Hopkins will be a believable Hitchcock in this new movie that's uh, coming out on November 23rd. Well, I hope so. I got a buddy who worked on the movie, an actor buddy, and he said he's just amazing, just fantastic, and uh, it's wonderful. The, the clips I've seen, I, uh, you know, I don't know. I don't know. It, it should be very, very interesting. I, I, I could just say I just saw Lincoln, and, and Daniel Day-Lewis, he just disappears. I mean, you know, obviously you don't know what President Lincoln was totally like, but but Daniel Day-Lewis just disappears into his character. And and obviously we have much more of an idea that of what Hitchcock was like than Lincoln. Um and and so obviously it might be a much bigger challenge to do a role like that, somebody that was filmed so often that there are so many interviews of. Yeah. So there might have to be a little bit more suspension of disbelief um as as far as 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 this performance cuz you know, I still want to see it regardless. I mean, Helen Mirren, for example, has already talked about that she's nothing like Alma Hitchcock, that Alma Hitchcock was a tiny woman, and, and you know, Helen Mirren is, is um, much more physically imposing, and, and that's from her. So, you know, it's going to be very interesting to see. But I, I think I think when you know a character from film um, versus uh, a character who, who you know, there's no film or audio of. I, I think there has to be a bigger uh, um, suspension of disbelief because because it, it's got to be a more challenging thing. I think you're right about that, and I think you you probably would like to see it, see Daniel Day Lewis play Hitchcock. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, you know, I, 
Somehow I think he could do it. Somehow the guy, I, I could just see as a, well, you, you know, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. Okay, I'll do this. I better put on 300, 200 pounds or something like that. You know, and, you know, I'll study the, I mean, he's just, a, the, the guy's just amazing. I mean, really I mean it's just, yeah, but, but the thing about Daniel Day-Lewis, though, is that he is very, very selective and, and uh you know he really uh not, you know he makes other actors look lazy i i mean i mean anthony hopkins is just a you know an old time spencer tracy learn your lines don't bump into the furniture type of actor um who who i don't think has the method acting thing and gets you know he's he's still anthony hopkins off the set in fact my buddy was talking about how how he was you know, making uh, um, Hannibal Lecter Chianti jokes on the set, you know, coming out of his trailer and saying, does anybody want to come in here for dinner? You know, things like that. <laughs> you know, uh, uh, whereas Daniel Day-Lewis, I mean, I mean, he's Lincoln. I, I, I mean, it was... Uh, uh, I think the actor who played General Grant in the movie was was uh, right. He he's on Mad Men and 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 he was riding in the limo with 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 Daniel Day Lewis and, and Daniel Day Lewis was talking about Mad Men, but he was doing it like he was Abraham Lincoln and you know, oh. and the actor was saying, "Gosh, you, you know, it's like it, it's like what a how flattering that Abraham Lincoln watches our show." You know? <laughs> so he really so, gets into. So, gets into the part. Definitely gets into the part. Right. Oh, go ahead. I was well. I just want to make sure that I that I ask you this because I think it's really important. Uh, Hitchcock is still uh, so very much admired as a filmmaker. He actually never won an Oscar. He was given a uh, Irving Thalberg Award and and he was nominated five times for uh, Psycho, Rear Window, Spellbound, uh, Life. Boat and Rebecca, but um, and Rebecca he, he never won. Picture. Even though Rebecca did win the best picture, he he was not awarded the best director. And I never understand how that how that can happen. But yeah. um, why why do you think he's still admired so much as a filmmaker? Well, you, you know, I, I I mean, obviously his movies are a lot of fun to watch, and they're interesting, and they're they're uh, you know probably. Like something like Vertigo, not not really based on reality that much, or, or you or maybe something like that has happened in the world, and and then of course, you know, Psycho, a little bit more based on on reality since it was based on a real uh, murderer, Ed Gein, but uh, but but I mean his mo- his movies are very fanciful. I, I mean. I, I mean, he'd always say, uh, like when you made uh, when they made North by Northwest, for example, Cary Grant was just infuriated that he was going to be chased by the crop duster plane, and and Hitchcock said, you know, I I don't care why the plane is chasing you. Nobody will care. I just want to put the audience through through the emotions, and and, and that's the whole thing. I mean, why were the birds chasing people? They, you know, he never explained it. Everybody has their theories. Um, well, well, I, I mean, in Psycho, he, he, he told Francois uh, Truffaut in the interview, you know, I know it's a horrible subject. I know it's disgusting. Disgusting, but but you know, but I, it's just a means to an end for me, and the end is putting the audience through these emotions, and and that's 
the ultimate thing probably that that makes somebody a popular filmmaker is how much can you get the audience to react and emote. And and Stephen Rabello talked about uh, how he actually got to see Psycho in, in 1960, shortly after it was released, and and uh, or or in the early 60s at least, and and uh, uh, the audience reaction when they were watching the movie when when Vera Miles is under the stairs and Anthony Perkins comes to the house, I mean they're screaming their head off, and and Hitchcock <laughs> off, off the you know off the set had the fun thing with with. Uh, uh, Putting the the uh, Mrs. Bates dummies in in, in uh, Janet Lee's dressing room, and so she would scream when she walked in there. And the one that made her scream the loudest was the one he ended up using on film. So the the skull dummy. So uh, I I mean it's just it, it's just a matter of uh, being able to make the audience emote and being identified with with suspense and and being most of the time really good with publicity. Um, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I think all those things um, um, combined, uh, you know, make Hitchcock a magic figure for a lot of for a lot of cinema goers. Well, they, he certainly is a magic figure for for me. And uh, I, you know, we extended the time of the show for sixty minutes, and there's really we could talk for another hour, Stephen, about uh, Alfred Hitchcock. But I do see that our time is. Uh, is almost up, and I I want to thank you because it's been such a treat to have you as a guest again. You you always share so much fascinating information with us. Now, will you come back again soon? Absolutely, absolutely, love to. Well, we'll we'll look forward uh, to that, and, and uh, um, I I I just uh, and then I I'm going to see Lincoln too. Now that you've spoken so highly about it, I will do that, and of course I'm looking forward to the new. Hitchcock uh, movie, but it's time to wrap things up. So this is Betty Jo Tucker giving a big shout out to the folks at Blog Talk Radio for choosing today's episode to feature as one of today's picks. We really appreciate it. And thanks to Nikki Starr for everything she does to make hosting Movie Addict Headquarters so much fun. Thanks again to Stephen Showhat, to our chatters and other listeners for tuning in. We hope everyone enjoyed the show. Please come back next time to hear actor Rick Yoon talk about working with Russell Crowe in The Man with the Iron Fist and about playing a chilling James Bond villain in Die Another Day. In the meantime, don't you forget to check out our film reviews at realtalkreviews.com. That's R-E-E-L, realtalkreviews.com. Before closing the show, I also want to remind listeners that it's not too late to vote in our favorite female stars election. You have until this Friday, November 16th, to email me your vote for your favorite female star who's been a guest on our show or been the subject of one of our tribute episodes. The email address is realtalk at comcast.net, and that's R-E-E-L, realtalk at comcast.net. If you didn't get a chance to hear last Tuesday's show about our 18 nominees, please check out the archive segment, which is now available. Once your vote is received, your name will be added to our random drawing for a free copy of Confessions of a Movie Addict, my humorous life at the movies memoir, with everything edited out except the fun movie stuff. Well, that's all for now, folks. So because we've been talking about suspenseful movies and Alfred Hitchcock as the master of suspense, 
It's only fitting that we go out with some mysterious music. <laughs> <laughs>